the church has to first accept itself and to say to itself, we have done harm. And it is time for us to do some work to, to recompense people that we have harmed. Welcome to All God's Children. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go and talk about that taboo trinity, race, religion, and politics. Thank you for joining the Raceless Gospel Podcast, where word meets flesh, and where we gather to talk about the sticks and stones that break the skin and bones of the body of Christ and the structure of a church service. I am your host and podcast pastor, Starlet Thomas. Season three of the Raceless Gospel Podcast is brought to you in part by the CBF Podcast. Since 2016, the CBF Podcast has delivered over 300 episodes of interviews with thinkers, authors, theologians, creatives, and practitioners for conversations that matter. These critical and innovative conversations have garnered weekly support from around the world. The CBF Podcast tries to cultivate healthy and diverse theological dialogue in a culture fraught with division. Stream and subscribe to the CBF Podcast on Apple, Google, Amazon, SoundCloud, and all other major podcast platforms. Learn more at cbf.net slash podcasts. On today's podcast, I am joined by D. Danielle Thomas, affectionately known as Passa Danny, faith and spirituality writer, speaker, and founder of Unfit Christian. We will discuss the body language of the North American church, which keeps its LGBTQIA members at arm's length. But first, won't you pray for us? And do pray with me. God up close and personal, who calls face-to-face meetings, who in Jesus shares the face of Mary, shares space and time with us, who is not up, up and away from us, up above our heads somewhere, not kept away from us because we are not enough, because we did not live up to who or what you had in mind when you created us. Teach us how to love. Because you are love through and through, from beginning to end, though we try to put you in the middle of our skirmishes. We don't have to fight for your love. Teach us how to share it, how to pass it down and around and around again until it comes back to us. Remind us that it comes down to us loving ourselves. Because there is no distance between us and you and no way that we could be kept from you. Some persons will say what they want to, what they feel they have to, but you love us all anyway. No restrictions. No preconditions, because no matter who we are, we are all God's children, all siblings, all related, all next of kin. Call us back to each other and closer to you, whose arms are wide open saying, come and get this love. Amen. the truth and shame the devil. It was said by church members to encourage us who were testifying to speak our truth without embarrassment or discomfort. 
Jesus had set us free and free indeed. We were invited to speak freely, except when it came to sex and sexuality. We had their support and they would ensure that it was a safe space to unravel tongues tied up, but still held up to the performative expectations of being a good girl, though boys would be boys. We were taught to support the patriarchy, to excuse toxic masculinity, and to expect misogyny. One-sided and hypocritical, their grace and willingness to understand us had limits. We could only say and do so much. Girls and boys, Adam and Eve, there was no mention of other gender expressions or sexual identities. There was nothing in between, nothing to see here, and no further discussion. It was a sin, and that was supposed to settle it. We just needed to settle down. We were either one or the other, sister or brother in Christ, and single or married. There was no mention of divorce. It was unheard of. And if a wife left her husband, we shunned her for it, for ruining our family picture, the picture-perfect image we had in our heads. The same can be said for our LGBTQIA members. Their presence shakes things up too much and turn our worlds upside down, so we put them out of the church to clean things up. Also, there was no shacking up. That is, living with someone you're not married to. You were living in sin if you decided to. But the rules ensure that everybody wins except for you. But he can do what he wants to, because a man's going to be a man. Only the heterosexual man is truly free in the North American church. Everyone else will always need saving. So we deny ourselves deny our experiences, and deny our true feelings. We lie to ourselves. We follow Christ in hollowed shells. We talk to Jesus about everything else but this. Because when we tell the truth, we are called the devil. Our scripture reading is 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verses 15 and 16. The New Revised Standard Version translates Paul's words this way. If the foot would say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This is Reverend Starlet Thomas, your podcast pastor, and we'll be right back. Religious freedom has been white too long. Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty is exploring this truth and reimagining its mission at the intersection of religious freedom and racial justice. Listen and learn with BJC. Visit bjconline.org slash resources for videos, discussion guides, podcasts, and more to help your congregation and community host meaningful conversations about faith, freedom, and justice. 
I'm Wanda Hardy Kidd. I'm a retired campus minister in my late 60s living in North Carolina. A couple of years ago, burdened by grief, I left home alone, a road trip, just me, my truck camper, and a broken spirit. But I found healing in my desert wanderings. This June, join me for the journey again. 30 episodes, a short one each day. Journey Through the Desert, from me, Wanda Hardy Kid, and Good Faith Media. This is Reverend Starlet Thomas, welcoming you back to this episode of the Raceless Gospel Podcast. I want to introduce to some and present again to others, D. Danielle Thomas, who is a digital faith leader whose work and words have been featured in Essence, the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture, and NBC News, among others. For today's sermon, we will engage in the tradition of call and response, a sacred back and forth. Feel free to join in as official members of the Amen Corner. Pray for us as we discuss the North American Church's body language. So the first question is this. Let's not talk about sex. Why are conversations about our LGBTQIA siblings often centered around and saturated with bedroom talk? So there's, I think there's two dynamics happening here. Our tendency to center same gender loving people's sexualities with the actual sex, sex part speaks to our own inability to have honest conversations about sex. And so when I say our, I want to be clear, I'm talking about cisgender, heterosexual people, okay? Um, it, this kind of hinges around like, well, if, if it's not this, then it must only be that, right? So if it's not fitting within the norms of heteronormativity, then the only difference that must matter the most between us and our sibs who are openly, uh, visibly same gender loving, as I want to make sure I'm not going in by erasure happening here. Because um, there are a lot of us who identify as maybe hetero romantic, but bisexual. So we enjoy sex with more than one gender, um, but we tend to partner romantically as heterosexuals. And so people, we get that privilege of appearing as straight without actually being straight. So I want to make sure I'm not erasing people when I say that, but it really kind of comes down to this idea that if it's not fitting within these norms and the only thing that must make it different and significant then is the sex. And so because we have a lot of puritanical hangups <laughs> around our own sex lives, around the fact that we don't have real honest discussions about pleasure, the fact that a lot of our sexual conversations in the church are rooted around either not doing it at all and therefore rejecting the body, rejecting your sexuality, rejecting your sensuality, right? Which is a very different thing. Um, we associate them closely, but sensuality is just simply experiencing all of life through our senses. And a lot of times we think of that as a slippery slope. So we are encouraged 
encourage them to suppress those things. So because we don't have honest conversations about our own bodies and our own pleasure, um, we start to have or project those same kind of ideas onto other bodies who do not have sex in ways that look like us. So on the other hand, there's also this idea that like, I can make these people's identities salacious if I make it only about the sex. So because we are living in sanctuaries and in church communities that already sensationalize sex as like the best thing that could ever happen and the worst thing that could ever happen, <laughs> make of that what you will. Um, when we demonize sex, already, even between consenting heterosexual adults who are unmarried, it is much easier to point to just the sex of LGBTQ people and say, see, they already even more perverted. They're already out here against the will of God, having sex outside of marriage, and they're doing it with each other. And they're trans, and they're queer, and they're this, and they're that. It adds to this... <clears throat> In many ways, it actually shrouds our ignorance around what it means to be fully inclusive, to have healthy sex conversations, because to speak honestly about what it means to love and to have consensual loving relationships between same gender people also forces us to admit that a lot of the dialogue we have around what is love in the church is rooted in power dynamics, where one person or one gender has to have less power and submission in order to be fully loved we would have to then talk today if this is love that mirrors the type of love that we're supposed to have that we're committed to have by the book or if this mirrors us creating structural inequity and calling it love so that's what we're starting with off the gate <laughs> Well, she has called the roll, made a few, just a few church announcements. <laughs> she just laid it out. There's just a few church announcements. If you weren't sure about what she was talking about, she just wanted to clarify all of her language. Uh, Pastor Danny has come to teach and I'm, and I'm, I'm happy about it. So what, what is this, what is the, the body language of inclusion uh, at a distance? What message is it sending? Well, first we have to be clear about what body we're talking about. Are we? Mm-hmm talking about the body of church and and what that body is sending or are we talking about the individual characters and actors in our churches and what language is being sent to that because if we're talking about the individuals it's very clear body language when someone walks in and is visibly clear we see folks get a little bit stiffness in their bodies we see the looks passing between certain folks um, there's a line in this Ty Trivet song, um, Victory, and he's like, come out of depression, come out of this, and then he goes, come out of homosexuality, right? And it's an ad lib that on its head just doesn't seem violent. This is just part of our statement of belief. This is just part of our statement of what holiness looks like, of what living a life of Christ looks like, but we're literally telling people to come out of what God has called them into, into what we are calling them into and what is comfortable for us, what is familiar to our 
body. And so language, if we're talking about body language in this sense, really depends on what body we're talking about. Either way, what is being communicated is this idea that you are not sufficient. You are not enough. You are not called or covered by God because what you are living is in conflict, I have interpreted the text to mean about who you are in your personhood merely by one aspect of it, which is your sexuality. And so we, I, I think body language is an interesting thing, uh, thing then because it really just depends what body we're talking about because I think we can affect individual bodies, which can then in turn affect the corporate body. But I think the corporate body has so much dominance over the... Um, over the individual body in a way that makes it difficult to make those individual decisions to say, I'm going to disagree with my corporate body and go on my own way. It kind of is that whole communal cultural agreement. And so in many ways we have forsaken our own ideas about how we feel about these things because raising them would make us different. And we have seen how the church has treated people who look different and we don't want to be ostracized mm. in that way. Oh my. So, so the next question is this, in the sanctuary, but so often not a part of what is happening in the North American church, why do so many of us keep these members at arm's length? Because they're also useful particularly in the black church experience. So it goes a bit like this. A lot of the ways people stay in church is because they feel like the church serves them and the ways in which the church serves them, right? This idea that um, if I stay in church, if I stay in holiness, I'm not gonna go to hell. Um, so we find this attack particularly for um, Black women uh, in church is like we have this whole grappling with our womanhood and like we want to be seen as good virtuous women and then we add the layer of race on top of that um, because Black women are number one, we are the most self-surveilling group of women out of any ethnicity in terms of how we present sexually, um, how we show up, how our piety appears. Um, and addition to that, like we also have these close associations of Blackness with Sin, of blackness with evil, of blackness with everything that is the antithesis of what we say to believe when it comes to holiness. And so a lot of us are tethered to our relationship in church um, by that hope that it will keep us healthy, it will keep us whole, it will keep us as part of God's will. And so a lot of us then will turn around and put our queer uh, siblings on the altar of sacrifice. So where we've been dealing with misogyny and misogynoir um, at one intersection, because obviously there are black women who are queer, um, we then put our queer siblings on the altar of sacrifice for proxy to power, right? Because we can look at them and say, well, see, they really live in that sin. They really acted wrong. They're really all of these things. And at the same time, our churches would not function in the same way that they do without queer folks contributing um, to our church spaces in the sense of like, they direct our choirs. They are part of our hospitality ministries. They are 
um, part of the things that make the church a welcoming space, which is ironic because in many ways they are not welcomed into our oh. churches, not as their full selves. They're perfectly fine if they are closeted. They're perfectly fine if they do not flaunt that lifestyle or put it out there in such a way that forces us to reckon with it and to then reconcile with it. But in many ways, um, we treat them in the same way that women are treated in our churches. They are matters of currency. They keep our pews warm. Mm. They keep our coffers full because they pay tithes, because they give offering, because they give of their time, their talent, and their tenth as an attempt to pay for holiness, as an attempt to buy into salvation, as an attempt to buy into inclusion in our churches. If we can prove our value, then perhaps people will find value within us. And mm. I, I really feel like that is the struggle narrative that is happening here. This goes back to body language. Once again, what is the message that the body is sending to these folks when we have them in places and positions in our ministries that quite frankly are the reasons why people come to our churches. People are coming for good music ministry. People are coming and staying because they feel welcomed by your ushers, by your hospitality ministry, by the fellowship hall cooking, by all the things that make us really enjoy and engage yeah. in a church community. They are in these places and without them, I, you know, we, we hate to hear this, but the preacher is not the star of the show. Without having everybody else really set the atmosphere for us <laughs> to do the work and the labor that we do from the lectern, we don't have anywhere to speak to. We don't have anybody to speak to, right? We're going to be talking to an empty room. So to put them in these places of position and then to be violent against them from that same lectern mm. by constantly communicating language that condemns who they are by even if we don't outright say they're not included when we do certain things like marriage ministry and we say without saying that this is only open to traditional marriages to real marriages in that way we we completely diminish and belittle these people's personhood their love the way in which they show up in the world and yet we still expect mm. them to show up in our sanctuaries the math is not mm. math I'm trying to get my face together so I can <laughs> ask the next question <laughs> I don't know if the, if, the, if the listeners can hear you did you I mean you're preaching you are definitely preaching so <laughs> Come on, Pastor. The, 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 the next question is this. Uh, what has the North American church's theological distance from its LGBTQIA members created? You know, what's interesting is that in as much as we've talked about the violence of the church against LGBTQ people, what has persevered is that over half of LGBTQ Americans still identify as Christian. They still identify as religious um, with an almost even split between Catholicism and Protestant. And so neither one of those in the majority of their denominations are open or affirming, right? Um, mm. And so what has persisted is that no matter the narrative spin that man has placed on the heart of God, the heart of God is still compelling people to come. 
is still compelling people to come from the highways and the hedges and be in community. <laughs> it's compelling them to find ways to build spiritual spaces that are safe, that are sacred, and see the whole of them as holy, not seeing parts of them that need to be excised. We have a real problem in the church where we want to love people in parts. I want to love the mm. Black part of you. I only want to love the woman part of you. I only want to love what appears to be the straight part of you. I only want to love the parts of you that are convenient for me to love. Because when I I open myself up to love all of you, it means I have to deal with my own complications. It means Jesus. I have to deal with my own nuances. And so when we talk about this theological distance, a lot of this is because we do not want to reconcile that perhaps the, the text of terror that we have used to condemn folks for simply being who God created them to be requires us to really deal with things that are uncomfortable. Like a lot of these texts that condemn homosexuality are actually condemning temple prostitution. They're actually condemning child molestation and child prostitution. They are condemning things that we have collectively said are an evil. And yet we do a disservice to the text by making that about something that is not evil at all. Consenting, loving relationships are not evil. You can't read 1 Corinthians 13 and then constantly say, I'm not going to love that way. You can't say, for God mm. so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Preach. And then not make room for what love truly looks like. You know, we say love covers a multitude of sin. We say so much about love and we don't do enough to actually actualize love for people whose lives complicate our own narratives. For people who make us forced to, to deal with things like that power inequity I talked about earlier, like the fact that we teach um, poor gender roles. <laughs> For as much as we tell women in church about who they should be and how they should be, and I actually started interrogating this myself in an essay I've been writing, is this idea of for all the things that young boys hear in church about who women should be and all the things they don't hear about who they should be in the world, what are they hearing and how are they forming their own gendered expectations based on what the church tells them women should be? So I wonder in that way, in the ways we tell people their sexuality should look, and we hear all about the condemnations of how sex and sensuality should show up for us, what are we also hearing about how it should be and how it should show up within those condemnations? And the same thing is happening for our queer brothers and sisters and, and non-binary folks who are hearing all these expressions of who they shouldn't be and not having enough room and grace to figure out who they are. And yet, and still, they pursue mm. the same love of God that I do. They pursue the same fellowship with God and with church folks and in relationship of faith communities that I do. And so that says something about the endearing call of God. It says something about the mm. endearing call of love. These people, in spite of people, still feel loved mm. by God. So, so what does that say to us? What does that say to us? to those of us who can continue to engage in these hostile body languages, in this these hostile <gasps> spaces that do not feel warm or welcoming unless you fit a certain very specific 
identity. They don't even always feel warm to me as a black woman. Um, forget being heterosexual appearing. They don't feel good to me as a black woman. And so I wonder in what ways um, do we have to be forced to reckon with despite feeling ostracized by the church, despite feeling unwelcome in these spaces, despite body language telling us all of these things, we still feel called by a God who does. Come on and let the church say amen. <laughs> and amen again. <laughs> Last question, church, and we're going home. Pastor Danny is teaching us with, with compassion, with conviction. And, and for those of us who are still on the journey for discernment, she's giving you uh, some opportunities for clarity. And we're very, we're very grateful for that. This, this last question, uh, what is the work ahead for the North American church to accept members of all gender expressions and sexual orientations? The church has to accept itself. Ooh. The church has to accept itself. What's happening is what we are seeing in this deconstruction movement, this decolonization of faith, which is what I focus on, um, which is separating these ideas that have been put into the text because the word homosexual doesn't appear in the text until 1946. And so when you think about that reality, that is just uh, just shy of 20 years of where my mother's been born. So we're not talking about that many generations removed from this and what that means. What's happening now is that time has accelerated. We are in um, with the advent of the internet and the deep connectedness that it has brought to us, it means that our, our source of information is not limited to our community. Our source of how the world moves and works is not limited to our church, it's not limited to our family, it's not limited to our schools. We now have access to thousands of people from a small device that you can hold in your hand. You know what I'm saying? So with that comes critiques of the church that it has never seen before, right? With that comes an awareness of, of how we have shown up. It was okay for us to bully these people before because that was just accepted as to how it was because we live in a society that also bullied these folks. And now we're in a time where their marriages are legal, where their rights are full, not as full as they could be, but <laughs> they are fuller than they certainly have been. We're no longer in Stonewall riots. We are now at a time where we are seeing more equity and inclusion happening all over the place. And so this is holding up a mirror to the church that has always seen itself as above reproach, that has always seen itself as the sole authority and adjudicator of our morality. And the church has to first accept itself and to say to itself, we have done harm and it is time for us to do some work to, to recompense people that we have harmed in so many regards, from people's sexuality to their gender identity to the ways in which like women have been failed to be prepared to be humble or not humble, but to be um, equitable partners in the ways in which men, and I'm of course being cisgender here, have not been prepared to be really good partners as husbands in the way that we have harmed queer folks and still use them in our churches to, to undergird all that we do, the way we have harmed 
people whose whose bodies, right? A lot of this idea, since we're talking about body language, I'm also a fat bodied woman. And I can't tell you the number of sermons I've sat through where we've talked about gluttony, we've talked about the body being a temple, and yet we haven't talked about food deserts, and we haven't talked about access to fresh food and access to healthy places to work out, um, that gym costs things, and that like home workouts aren't always possible. We have to discuss the multiple class analysis issues that lie within the reasons that a lot of people are marginalized and oppressed. And we have, a, we talked about the rocks crying out on our behalf. That is what we're hearing now. People who have been typically discarded, people who have been typically silent, objects that we typically have, typically have only seen to be as used to us, right? Rocks are useful for us to build things. Rocks are useful for us to pave uh, roads that we walk on. But the rock has never been useful enough to be centered and loved and thanked for its service. And so now we have rocks crying out saying, I'm not going to let you take me out of my place in relationship with God. I'm ah! not going to let you push me out to the margins anymore. We have rocks crying out and the church has to be in relationship with itself first. The church has to reckon with itself if we are ever going to be equipped and ready to be more expansive, to be more diverse, to be more inclusive. When we our Sunday morning hour is still the most segregated hour in this country, when we don't feel safe as black bodies, brown bodies, uh, Asian bodies in churches and leadership that does not look with us, like us, there's still a lot of passive aggression happening. There's still a lot of insidious racial things happening. There's still a lot of gender things. We have rocks crying out saying this, we can't do this no more. And so I think the church would serve itself well and of course be able to serve others in that way. If we begin to look in the mirror and took the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because we say we serve a God who we can show up as our whole selves and just as I am without one plea. Without one that plea. means that we have to really show up as we are and allow God to really do the work. The only plea that we have is God fix us. God change us. God yes. make us whole. Yes. And we have yes. to understand that wholeness has to include people whose lives do not look like our own and recognize that they have more to enrich us um, than just being of service to us. We have to be in service of one another. So we got to kind of examine what that power looks like and remember that power belongs to God and stop trying to seek that power out for ourselves. That's all I got to say on that. Passa! Passa! <laughs> Lord have mercy. I had to mute myself. I clapped throughout. If we were in church, I'd slap your back right now. Come on now. That's How real dare church. you? That's real church. Get on here. Come on, get on this Zoom. Get on this podcast and preach like that. What are we doing? Lord, I'm beside myself. I don't know if you all have been listening, but Pastor Dennis said that we have to get right with each other. Come on, get right, church, and let's go That's home. It. That's it. Come on. Did, did y'all, were y'all taking notes? Did you hear the woman of God? Did you hear her say that the rocks are crying out? Y'all throwing rocks and the rocks are crying out. I think I've gotten happy. She has found her help and I've gotten happy. We've had church today. Praise me, praise me. Oh, we would say good God from Zion. That's it, that's it, that's the one.
Now you about to make my Pentecostal come out. That's the one. That's the one. <laughs> Thank you so very much. Thank you for having what me. What a time. What a time. What a time. What a time. I want to thank our guest, D. Danielle Thomas, and extend to you, our listeners, an opportunity to know this Jesus, who kept no one at arm's length. The Raceless Gospel Podcast Season 3 is brought to you by Good Faith Media. You can support our work and witness by making a tax-deductible contribution to Good Faith Media at goodfaithmedia.org. This concludes this episode of the podcast, but not the conversation. Let's keep watching our body language. Head over to our Fellowship Hour at Raceless Gospel Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and Raceless Gospel Pod on Twitter. Absent in the body, but present in the Wi-Fi spirit. I'll see you there. On next week's episode of the Raceless Gospel Podcast, we'll hear from Willie Francois III, and talk about why the North American church's foot is in its mouth. Season three of the Raceless Gospel Podcast is brought to you in part by the CBF Podcast. Since 2016, the CBF Podcast has delivered over 300 episodes of interviews with thinkers, authors, theologians, creatives, and practitioners for conversations that matter. These critical and innovative conversations have garnered weekly support from around the world. The CBF podcast tries to cultivate healthy and diverse theological dialogue in a culture fraught with division. Stream and subscribe to the CBF podcast on Apple, Google, Amazon, SoundCloud, and all other major podcast platforms. Learn more at cbf.net slash podcasts.